Welcome to Hence the Future podcast. I'm Madam Marconin. I'm Justin Clark. And today we're discussing generative AI. That means we'll get into the current state of AI, where we are today, the recent generative AI explosion, why we're talking about this topic today, and also types of generative AI and generative AI use cases. And at the end, we'll get into the future scenarios, the worst case, best case, and most likely future scenarios. Sound good? Sounds good. Awesome. So the last time we talked about artificial intelligence was on episode 105 called GPT-3 and the Future of AI. And we recorded that episode right after GPT-3 was released by OpenAI in the summer of 2020. And at that time, the main innovation was natural language processing text generation. So you could put in a simple prompt, like write me a paragraph about quantum physics, and then it will write a paragraph about quantum physics with a higher quality output than what most humans would be able to do. It's certainly not as good as what many experts would do, but Mm -hmm. really good quality compared to what was available previously. But now, two years later, in 2022, there's been a new breakthrough in AI, which is image generation. And this is also from the OpenAI team. Uh, There's many applications built on top of this, but essentially now with that same prompt, not only can you create comprehensive text, you can also create images. And that was something that was really hard for AI to accomplish in the past. So maybe a good place to start is the types of generative AI. So I, you know, just in the last day or two, I've been going through all the various types of apps and looking at the different areas and it's, it's pretty cool what's out there. So mm-hmm. the, the areas I've been looking at are text generation, image generation, audio music generation, video generation, animation generation, uh, nerf generation, which we can talk about. And then lastly, code generation. Mm -hmm. Um, so I can get into some examples of each of those, but, uh, I guess just to start, what, how are you seeing the field of generative AI at a high level and how big do you think this innovation is? I mean, it's, it's a really, um, the, the thing about the text to image models that have become popular with, you know, Dolly and uh, mid journey, but Dolly was kind of the first one from mm-hmm. uh, open AI that made this popular. Um, I think this is the, the first time people are able to just play around with it and get really cool visual feedback quickly. So there's, there's a lot of hype around the, text image models. And I think they're great. I mean, I love playing with mid journey. I love and just scrolling the mid journey discord um, to see what's what you can create. I mean, it's, it's pretty fascinating um, to, to see where, where people's minds minds go. And like the, the things that people and artists and designers maybe wouldn't have thought of and the, the AI just fills in some gaps on its own. And it's a, it's a really cool thing. I definitely encourage people go check out Dolly and mid journey. And, but I also think with, with like the, the, these, um, these sorts of models are starting to be a little bit more, um, accessible to the public now. And I think that's where we are. Um, and especially with stable diffusion, which is kind of like an open sourced, uh, text to image model. So anybody can go in and run. If you have a GPU, you can 
play around with that. You, you have to code a little bit, but you know, you, you don't have to pay for tokens and stuff on the Dolly and mid journey websites to, to start generating and playing around. The quality is a little bit lower, but yeah, I think, I think this, this type of generative AI has started to open doors for everything else. Um, <laughs> it really does feel like a big leap forward for what AI can do. And the first place I started to really see this was on Bitcoin Twitter with everyone's different avatars, where you uh, used to have some guy that's yeah. like, you know, Bitcoin Gandalf, and his old avatar used to just be a picture of Gandalf from Lord of the Rings. Maybe there's some, you know, editing done manually in Photoshop. But mm-hmm. now he can just type in all different types of prompts, like a Bitcoiner Gandalf mining Bitcoin <laughs> over an open volcano in Mount Doom, or, you know, <laughs> or in the style of Renoir, or, or you, know, yeah. you can do all of these incredible generation. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing about it is that it does feel like there's much a greater variety of visuals out there now. So in the mm-hmm. past, it was like everyone would use the same stock photos, or they'd use the same images that you can find on Google Images. Or maybe if you're a good designer, you could create something new yourself. But now anyone that's able to write a simple prompt can create a totally unique visual that no one else has. And that can be your avatar. That can be the design for your website. It can be essentially anything you want. And we are still very much in the early stages of this. It's, it's mm-hmm. not perfect. And yep. I've noticed that a lot of the AI generation, it's really like the abstract idea of that concept. So you'll notice a lot of the lines are blurred. It's not always exactly precise. It's really Mm -hmm. almost like impressionistic in its style. And so it does tend to have, sometimes they almost have that like psychedelic view to them where it's like (laughs) there's like random eyes coming out of the forest and things like that, Uh which is kind of a cool starting point. And it shows a peek inside how AI probably views images or just processes images. Mm -hmm. But over time, it's certainly going to get better and better. And already you can put images through refinements, enhancements, add more detail. And so there really is this interesting interplay between the AI and the person writing the prompts. And it's that duality, that dance between human and AI that's created some of the best uh, creations that I've seen so far through Mid Journey and Dolly and Stable Mm -hmm. Diffusion. Yep. And it it seems like uh, where we are now is the size of the models is one of the most important things. There now there's there's also something to be said about fine tuning models to a particular style. Um, so that's something that people might play around with uh, stable diffusion if they want if they want all of their images to be similar to mid journey. Like there's actually there was just a open journey um, fine tuning of stable diffusion that was released. So it's it's an open version of what you would kind of expect Midjourney to produce, which to me, Midjourney is it produces pretty high quality stuff, and there there are sharp lines. Like you can get really realistic images mm-hmm. of faces and cities with a lot of detail, which is pretty fascinating to me. Um, but yeah, I do you like use, you can use simple prompts like hyper realistic or four K or detailed face, there's kind of these cheat codes where if you include that in the prompt, it'll give you more what you're looking for. Yeah. And that's, that's what 
this what the next um wave of designers is going to have to they're all going to have to figure out how to interface with the these generative models you know it's 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 one of those things where you just have to figure out how to work with the tool and then it can greatly amplify your output and it's also going to allow people to explore ideas like scientists for example if they if they want to combine some concepts visually and they're thinking about like micro microscopic particles or or cells like you you might be able to generate images or series of images that raise questions in science you know mm. like you it might even generate hypotheses that you can go test because really these these models are just huge interpolation machines in a way that's just <laughs> you give it a bunch of data and it'll figure out how of i mean it's a really effective way of making realistic images from that like these diffusion and transformer models in general are really effective for creating realistic images because the the space of possible images is nearly infinite <laughs> like effectively infinite from our perspective so it's like these these models have learned to traverse this latent space of Im or image space and come up with useful things a lot of the time which is super cool <laughs> Totally. Yeah. And I think that's why we see so many different applications. And it's not like one app has just totally won out. It seems like every day there's a new app, a new version mm -hmm. of Midjourney or Dolly. Or, mm -hmm. but, and that's because, like you said, the, the space of possible images is essentially infinite. And so all these applications can create a particular style of output or they can have certain parameters so you're more likely to get what you're looking for. And Midjourney AI tends to be that kind of sci-fi CGI kind of dream world. Whereas something mm -hmm. like Dolly, Crayon is another application that tends to be more simplistic, simple characters and things like that. But yep. there's infinite styles of applications that can be created and, and the apps come and go, but the generative AI tech that's underlying this, which largely is all from open AI, that's mm -hmm. here to stay. And so I think it'd be good to just go over a, a few of the examples of the, some applications and then mm -hmm. the, they might be totally different applications a year from now, but here's some of what I'm seeing that's really cool. So first let's start so with text generation. One is copysmith.ai. So this is basically if you're writing copy for marketing purposes, advertising purposes. So that's one example and you can change the tone, you can change the length, there's all these settings. Another one, we already talked about it, but image generation. So Midjourney AI is probably one of the ones that people are most excited about. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Dali, we already talked about Crayon. So those are kind of mm -hmm. the image generation space. I also looked at music generation because if you're creating a movie or a documentary or something and you want to have a score, you want to have a soundtrack to your movie, uh, in the past, you'd have to either hire a composer to make it for you or you'd have to license it from some kind of uh, music licensor, which can be quite expensive, especially if you want something mm -hmm. good. And then even if you do license something good, it might be used in a, you know, a dozen other movies. And so it doesn't feel unique. But yeah. now with score.ampermusic.com, you can actually generate different scores and it'll, the AI will create very similar to GarageBand where it'll generate string music 
and then you say, okay, now I want to add some percussion and it'll generate percussion to match the tonality of the string music you already have. And then you can add something else and you can re-render it and you can hmm. keep iterating back and forth until you have the right vibe that you're going for, for your music or your documentary. And that's pretty cool. And you can try it for free. Yep. And then we get into video generation and there's one app I saw called synthesia.io and hmm. you can basically type in text saying whatever you wanted to say and you can do the same thing with animation. So there's uh, gliastar.com where you can have little animated characters saying whatever you want. And I mean, it's kind of similar to Memoji on the iPhone where mm -hmm. you have these like emoji characters and then it'll track your face and say or do whatever you want it to do. Mm, but okay. you can do it through a text prompt rather than it actually recording your face and voice. Gotcha. Um, so those are pretty cool. And then the coolest thing, which I saved for last, is the NERFs, Neural Radiance Fields. And basically what this is, is it fills in 3D space based on 2D images. So the best example of this that I've seen is Microsoft Flight Simulator, where by using 2D satellite images, they were able to create a 3D geometric model of the entire planet Earth so that you can fly your plane from the Bahamas to Timbuktu or to wherever you want to go. And you can see wow. a, a 3D generative model of exactly what those mountains look like based on Google Earth and other data we have. And this would not be possible if you had to have humans hard coding manually all of those mountains across all <laughs> of Earth. I mean, yeah. it would take like a thousand years or you know, who knows how long it would take. But so yeah. it's pretty, that's like, to me is one of the most powerful is it's just mass 3d generation. Yeah. And you can imagine for the gaming world. I mean, that's incredible. Like I remember in ready player one, they talk about how in, in the, uh, the ready player one universe, you can basically mm -hmm. go infinitely because it 3d generates new terrain, the further you go. And we're kind of getting to that point now. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing I'll, I'll say and hand it over to you is code generation and the best example there is uh, GitHub Copilot, where mm -hmm. basically as you're coding, it'll suggest autofill. So you can basically, it'll basically surmise what you're trying to do and then fill in the exact type of code. And it mm -hmm. works with different programming languages. There's another one called Source AI. So now you have a potential situation where a newbie programmer or even someone who doesn't know how to program at all could potentially build some game-changing apps on their own. Yeah, I have some experience with Copilot. And so within the last couple of weeks, I've, I was very resistant to Copilot because it was like, really, it didn't really, I didn't really care that much to try it. I felt like I was pretty productive. But then very recently, I've been trying to learn front-end engineering. Generally, I've just been, you know, back backend Python and with front end engineering, I tried to learn JavaScript and um, the react framework to build websites and web apps. Um, so <clears throat> I just tried copilot as I was learning how to use react. And it, it was actually 
really awesome. I, I made wow. a um, Dolly clone that uses stable diffusion on the back end. And wow, that's cool. It, <laughs> it was, was I mean, than you expected? it was a lot better than expected. So basically the way that I play around with it is I'll, I'll write a little comment and tell it exactly what I want to do in plain text, like create a component that, you know, create a gallery component that renders a bunch of images in a list and whatever, you know, like, <laughs> um, or create a, a prompt input message with this kind of styling. And it's not perfect. I will say it's not perfect. And you still have to understand the, the frameworks a little bit right now. But I can see this improving pretty substantially over the next several years and making it to where total newbie programmers are able to just tell, you know, Copilot or any other code generation model what they want and it'll build a full app. Or there's, you right. might even be able to design, you know, do some uh, Figma mockups. And then maybe, maybe from Figma, these AIs can generate the code to build whatever it is that totally. you've designed. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, venture capitalists will talk about how there's certain types of businesses that are pretty set in their ways. Like you can have the Uber for X, right? Like you could be the mm -hmm. Uber for scooters, which is what Bird was. Like you can rent scooters, or so you could imagine. I want to build the Uber for X, and you can just kind of prompt that, and then it'll pull in the various elements from known apps. Mm -hmm. But you could imagine 10 years from now, maybe it is as simple as writing, give me an Uber for long borders. And, yeah. and it'll literally <laughs> just like put everything together. And then you just say, oh, let's make the style a little more whimsical or a little more like surfer theme. Mm -hmm. And then eventually you can have everything you need for a standalone business. And you didn't even have to hire any developers. Yep. That's the thing, like this is, these generative models are going to increase the output of individuals so much. Like there's, you're going to be able to get, a, for example, you know, there's been all this talk in the news about how many people do you actually need at a company? Mm. And, you know, a lot of tech companies with layoffs and, and everything going on, I think startups in particular are going to be able to stay lean very lean, potentially just the founding team and a couple others for a very long time. Yeah. Well, have you been following the the shakeup at Twitter? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's right along in, those lines. Yeah. In, in a, in a sense. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious to see how it unfolds. It seems like there's a big disruption going in and then they'll, they'll sort of rebuild things from the ground up, which I mean, well, there was a, <laughs> yeah. there was a backlash because Elon has basically fired something like ninety percent of the workforce, and the only <laughs> people left are the quote unquote hardcore developers. <laughs> and it, there's yeah. this really funny side by side image. I don't know if you've seen, but it's like the Twitter workforce before Elon shook it up, and then the, the Twitter workforce <laughs> after. I haven't seen it. And before it's mostly social female types, marketers, product managers. And then now it's super dork nerd engineers <laughs> with like cheetahs on their fingers. And they just look like the guys that actually do all the hard coding. Yeah. And, you know, some people are think that's terrible. It's like, oh, you're firing all the, all the humanities majors and, you mm -hmm. know, whatever else. But 
the reality is if you have, as long as you have one person setting the vision and the direction, which for Twitter now is Elon, you don't need so many middle managers and, and people like that anymore, especially mm -hmm. with generative AI. You can basically yep. just have the people that really know how to interface with computation and one person setting the vision. And then that's pretty much it. And so mm -hmm. I think a lot of the other big tech companies that have already laid off major part of their workforce, they're all probably looking at Twitter and thinking if Twitter succeeds in cutting 90%, becoming way more profitable and not really having any downsides, mm -hmm. I could see a lot of big tech laying off an even bigger percentage of their workforce. And I think this also speaks to just the way technology is going kind of favors smaller, more nimble teams. Whereas mm -hmm. in the past, in the, you know, let's say like the dot-com to 2020 era, that was, that favored basically growing as fast as you could. Like how mm -hmm. many people can we hire at Amazon, at Facebook, at Google, at Twitter, just mm -hmm. hire as many engineers, grow as fast as humanly possible. Cause then you get all the leverage and you basically become the monopoly in that area. Mm -hmm. But now it's switching and it's a lot to feed all those employees and keep up the big fancy offices. And that can hurt you when we're in a bear market like we are now. Mm -hmm. And on the flip side, you can do way more with less. Now you don't necessarily yeah. need dozens and dozens of middle managers to get things done anymore. And that trend is only going to accelerate over time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is we're we really are entering an era of, and maybe this is always, this is always talked about with, with revolutions uh, that happen, you know, when, when the factory um, lines and, and the manufacturing um, output really increased for certain industries and the printing press, you know, all of these, these innovations led to a huge decrease in some kind of jobs and then a huge increase in other kinds of jobs. And I think right now, like for the foreseeable future, there is not going to be like AIs are not going to be taking people's jobs in the direct sense, but they will be making it so one person can output a lot more high quality yeah. stuff. One person can do the work of 10. Yes. And when that happens, like people like, <laughs> It's hard. It's hard to see what like macro trends in the long term, like how that's going to shake out. But if people learn how to interface with these models and these generate just generative AI in general, there's there's going to be a a great <laughs> just increase in things out there that are able to be made, mm -hmm. and hopefully it it sort of democratizes the the ability to just create a business or do really do anything you want to do. I think, I think it's going to give the average person a lot more ability to do whatever it is and build whatever it is they want to do. I totally agree. Well, let's talk a little bit about the use cases for generative AI, and then we'll get into the future scenarios. Cool. So as far as use cases, there are obviously a lot of opportunities here. And so if you're a listener of this podcast, and you're thinking, how can I actually leverage generative AI? There's a couple areas that jump out at me. One is you could build applications. So mm -hmm. like we mentioned earlier, there's infinite ways you can apply 
the open AI technology to generating images, generating text, generating animation, video, music, all types of things. And there's all these specific use cases, like the example of how do you write ad copy? Well, I'm going to create an application of GPT-3 that's specifically made for ad copy, and it has really simple parameters you can select from, drop-down menus, and then Mm -hmm. you get a good result. So that's one opportunity is actually building these applications. Um, But I would say there's a little bit of a risk where the applications are constantly getting so much better that there will always, it'll be a very competitive space to be building an app and it's going to be hard to fully dominate. in I think the way that we, we saw from like 2000 to 2020, another area, which actually seems like the biggest opportunity from my perspective is becoming a generative AI expert yourself, meaning you know really well how to use these tools and you're a pro at writing the right prompts to get the best possible output. And we're Mm -hmm. already seeing this a little bit where some people in mid-journey AI, like you can even see the most popular designs and you can see the users that created those. And then you look through their library of creations and it's mind-blowing. I mean, it's it's some really impressive work. And so Mm -hmm. if you are someone who wants to become really valuable to whatever company you decide to work out or you you decide to create your own company, either way, if you hone your skills with generative AI, there could, you know, very soon be a role for, okay, we need a generative AI expert. And then if they see that, hey, this kid already has his own blog where he posts his creations, not only does he know mid-journey AI, but he's also an expert at GitHub Copilot. And mm-hmm. not only can he create great visuals, but he can export it in the formats we need, whether that's, you know, SVG or whether it's Python code or, or mm-hmm. whatever. All of a sudden, that becomes a really valuable worker for any enterprise or project. Um, So yeah, those seem like the biggest opportunities to me. Um, But yeah, curious what opportunities you see here. Yeah, so I think there's there's a couple of opportunities here. Um, There. So one of the spaces I've been really interested in is serverless GPUs. So basically, this this is a way to really easily deploy models so people can do inference on them. Like right now, none of the big clouds have um, serverless GPUs where you can essentially just have basically just pay for what you use in terms of GPU time because GPUs are insanely expensive. Like the the new, well, relatively new NVIDIA A100s are over 10 grand depending on what kind of memory you need. And then the H100s, the brand new model that are that's still in a wait list, I mean, it's, it's a lot faster, but like very expensive. It's not going to, these, this is not hardware that the average person is going to just own themselves. And it's also kind of expensive to just have like servers running in the cloud always when you're not always using them. Like for just tinkering, the, the current setup is not particularly great. Um, if you don't own your own GPU. So I think there, there are some companies out there that are offering serverless GPU um, like compute services, which is going to be pretty sweet. Um, And I also think another opportunity is like, I think there needs to be a marketplace of models and fine tuned Mm -hmm. models and an easy way to fine tune models. Um, 
because fine tuning is going to be where most of the application uh, yeah, applications. Yeah, like a new app store for generative <laughs> AI apps. Yeah, exactly. I've I've been kind of pondering this idea for a little bit. So it's a really cool idea. I've been I've been in the. I might be a little bit like married to certain components of that idea, but I I do think that um, to have a marketplace where there's there's all all different kinds of models like the text to text, text to image, and then maybe even some other um, some open source things, and in a way to just build off of the open source models that are available on Hugging Face, really, and then maybe. I think there needs to be a way for people that fine tune models to like make some money off of creating a good fine tune model as well. So, well, um, it, it kind of reminds me of Jack is working on this project blue sky, which would hmm. decentralize Twitter. So rather than just having the Twitter algorithm that brings up whatever Twitter decides is most relevant, mm-hmm. you could plug in your own algorithm and say, Hey, I want the funniest tweets to rise to the top. And then you'd have some, some AI basically sort through tweets based on humor level and who knows how good it would be originally, <laughs> but it's pretty cool that you could basically curate whatever experience you would want by yep. plugging in your own model. And you, you could do the same thing with, if you have a certain t- style of image, like every artist I think has their own unique style, whether you're Picasso or, or, um, you know, more modern artists. And mm-hmm. if you could basically create a model that was in your style or whatever you liked the best, yep. that would be cool. You could almost have your own signature of creation. And then the model itself becomes the artist in a way, mm-hmm. but it's done with the the guidance of the artist. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's, that would be a, a really cool thing. And like the ability to, to tell stories, like tell visual stories. Now I think like web comics, or yeah. you know, something along those lines. I think those will be the the early applications, because um, I think to make a full on like movie or or short or something would take a lot of effort right now, because mm-hmm. the ability to keep a consistent character throughout the video generation process is a little difficult. Um, now, if yeah. if there's there might be some way to do some post-processing because uh, some of the, the um, these image models are able to like do like fill in. If you like highlight a certain part of the image and then they'll, right, it'll they'll put it. something like in that. So you could take a real image of, you know, a, a f- photograph you took with your camera and then you just want to generate something in a small area where there was a, a building or a, or a sign and you just want to put something there or maybe just remove it, the model can, you know, do that now. So there might be some way to use those kinds of things to create animations still a lot more quickly than you would be able to today where you're just kind of rendering frame by frame with a little bit of like automated motion between frames. But um, yeah. P- yeah. Plus there's always the question of, are you cutting corners and creating a less quality product because it's easier? And mm-hmm. the biggest example that comes to mind there is looking at Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy compared to the Hobbit trilogy. And mm-hmm. the Hobbit trilogy came later. So all else being equal, it should be better from a graphics perspective. Mm-hmm. But what we, or at least my own opinion is that 
the trilogy is so incredibly uh, riveting because every single orc, for instance, mm-hmm. is an actual actor who has specific makeup that is mm-hmm. not the same as the makeup of any other orc. So uh, it, just the level of detail, you don't even necessarily know that there's that level of detail when you're watching the movies, but you can sense that this feels very real. And mm-hmm. because of that, all the scenes are gripping. And if you yep. compare that to the CGI Hobbit trilogy, where it's just all CGI generated orcs and and dwarves and whatever else, it just feels like this kid's movie. I mean, I know it was meant to yeah. be more of a kid's movie, but it doesn't feel as gritty or real or resonant mm. as you had when you had real actors playing all the orcs. Um, so I think that's going to be a big hump for us to get over is when can we get to the point where it's as realistic and as riveting as if you actually hired individual actors. Um, mm. And I, you know, I think we're, we're probably realistically at least 10 or 20 years out from that, Yeah, uh, but we're going to get close to that fairly soon. I think that that's a really good point. It, it means something when every detail in a film was chosen explicitly, right? Instead mm-hmm. of just like trying to fill in the gaps because we need to fill in the gaps or we need to, you yeah. Know. Or there's even uh, on the subreddit for Rings of Power, the new Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. Amazon series, there are some scenes in that show where even with extras in the crowd, they will literally copy and paste different extras. And you'll notice the same exact person is in the crowd multiple times because uh, they probably didn't want to hire all the extras and so, but they wanted the crowd to feel full. So they yeah. just basically copy pasted the same people over and over. And if you're a, a you know, diehard fan, that's almost like <laughs> a slap in the face. It's like Peter yeah. Jackson made individual orcs at scale for all of these battles and you can't have 50 extras that are real people. Yeah. Yeah. I still need to watch the last two episodes of that. I kind of, I dropped off. But, you know, I'm glad they're at least expanding the world a little bit. Kind of like oh, Star yeah. Wars. Like Star Wars, I think, has done it extremely well in their ability to, like, keep building on the world. I think if they, mm. if the Lord of the Rings directors start to, and, you know, the, that whole Middle Earth and Silmarillion world, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I would love for everyone to be able to create their version of Lord of the Rings uh-huh. ad infinitum. Yeah, I don't really, I I think most intellectual property is actually contrary to the, what is best for humanity because, Mm -hmm. and this, this does get into a a question of generative AI. There are some legal questions of, is it legal to, let's say, create an AI visual in the style of Picasso of something else? Or there have been some examples where people will find a well-known CGI artist and they'll say, create a, a troll or a dragon in the style of this specific CGI artist. Mm-hmm. And then the question is, well, are, aren't you kind of using that artist's work in your creation? Or is it truly a, a newly generated creation and you don't have to pay any royalties? And personally, I think everything should be open and free to use and intellectual property shouldn't exist. Maybe mm-hmm. it's a little bit... Uh, idealistic for me to think that but I, I believe that if you're truly good at what you do you'll be able to get value for it people will always find value in the original and they'll always rather buy mm-hmm. the original tolkien books than 
some new guys interpolation of Tolkien. (laughs) But I think that new guy should be able to interpolate whatever he likes. And frankly, that's what gave us Harry Potter and Game of Thrones and all of these derivatives of Tolkien were people riffing off of Tolkien. Hmm. Um, But there are definitely some legal questions, that's for sure. Yeah, and and especially at first, like right now, it's going to be the biggest it'll be the biggest challenge early on because like all of these models are currently being trained directly on images that are, that might be owned by certain people. I think, you know, there's the way that they're being trained are um, like they're, the images are mostly in the public domain or all in the public domain for the most part. But, you know, when we talk about fine tuning and when we talk about everything else, like there are definitely proprietary images that mm-hmm. are in these models now that people, the creators might want the credit for, you know, some degree of credit for their contribution to the model, even if it's just like a one, one neuron of the, of the, of the model. Um, but I do think that as we go forward, there's, there's going to be like, the images that new image models are trained from and the text that text models are trained from are going to be increasingly AI as the source. Right. Like, <laughs> they'll be drawing from other AI generators. Yeah. So then it just starts to get really mixed and fuzzy and it's going to be super difficult to actually figure out where. <laughs> like, well, I think yeah. that's a good segue to get into the worst case scenario. Okay. Worst case scenario. All right. So yeah, I'll start off with the worst case scenario. And there I have several different layers of how bad it can get. Okay. So let's start with the worst layer. The worst layer, which you were just alluding to, is everything turns into gray goo <laughs> is the classic <laughs> thought experiment. Or everything turns into paper clips. And this thought experiment is basically you're trying to optimize how efficiently can we create paper clips with these inputs and create as many possible outputs with the inputs that we have available. Mm -hmm. But then the system figures out some way to actually take the molecules from the air itself to turn them into paper clips. All of a sudden, the entire earth could turn (laughs) into this like giant just bundle of paper clips. And These are obviously ridiculous thought experiments. I I don't actually think this is going to happen, but there, it is worth just being aware of if it does get so good that Mm. it can literally do whatever we prompt it to do. There is risk in that, especially if all people around the world have these types of things. And Mm -hmm. especially if it actually relates to the physical realm, Uh, not just things happening in cyberspace, but actual physical things being created uh, or energy being drained, the mm-hmm. grid goes out, goes down. The next worst case, I would say, that's not as bad as that, but still bad, would be a generative AI used for propaganda and used to create a certain narrative to pull the wool over people's eyes. And then I would say the next worst after that would just be simple disruption of the job market. Yep. And then the last, the last thing I would say is just losing the human touch might be another bad side where kind of like in the Tolkien example, everything can look kind of similarly AI generated Mm -hmm. rather than being totally unique in its 
generation based on human machine interaction, everything mm-hmm. could just kind of look like this AI gobbledygook. And yeah. that's obviously not ideal either. Yeah. Yeah. That, I think that's a, it's a nice spread of the worst case scenario. I think a couple of things I, I might add there is let's say in the next couple decades, augmented reality and VR is going to be a huge part of regular existence probably. Um, and with that, I think generative AI is going to be a huge component. And I worry that if everybody is do it, like generating their own worlds to hang out in, generating their own visuals that they are stimulated by in whatever sense, like it could lead to the situation where this is almost drug-like and people just get whatever they want at their, they have whatever they want at their fingertips visually. And Mm. I think it can really mess with the dopamine system. You know, we are, we are humans and we could become addicted to these sorts of visual, this visual stimulus in a lot of different ways. Um, and I think yeah, that's like just a Wally view of everyone's <laughs> on scooters or, yeah. or even the Oasis in Ready Player One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think that it's just um, and Ready Player One is nice because you're at least interacting with other humans. Mm-hmm. Um, now that I've heard, I've heard one uh, a potential application that we didn't talk about yet is um, if you have augmented reality glasses generative AI models might be able to overlay some sort of world it on top of the world that we're walking through. So we might be in a concrete jungle in New York city, but this, um, this augmented reality might generate like lush um, plants everywhere. And it, it might look like you're walking through a huge forest where the skyscrapers are replaced with gigantic trees that you know are almost um yeah just just really fantastical uh images and if people are walking around in like these totally different realities like i wonder if kind of like you said we might lose the human touch or the human connection of like people are just there's no shared reality anymore everyone's seeing something different plus something you mentioned earlier I think which is a really big risk is this idea of the recursive data that's being used to feed the AI Mm -hmm. is actually drawing from stuff that's AI generated. And we've talked about how there's risks once you achieve super intelligent AI, but there's also risks when it's not that intelligent, like GPT three now doesn't actually understand what's being said. It's just taking all the different encyclopedias and blog posts and Wikipedia and whatever and creating an output that sounds legit, but you don't necessarily know that that's the legit. So if you're totally taking your input of what's true from an AI, like let's say a kid who grows up with an iPad 20 years from now, and a lot of the stuff he's drawing from is stuff other people have generated by AI, you could almost go down some bad rabbit holes where you end up on something that's not actually true, not actually connected to the Mm -hmm. real world, or it's like demented in some way or yep. so there's, there is always that alignment problem. How do you actually align the AI for what's best with humanity? And 
you hope yeah. that there's enough human feedback that it always stays in, aligned in a nice way, but it is a fundamentally different environment once generative AI is already out there than mm-hmm. when you first start feeding it data that's been created in a very organic way from people writing blogs and books and things like that. Mm-hmm. And maybe there just needs to be some way to like have a stamp of the train, like where does the training data come from for some models? Yeah, And it's like <laughs> this, this model is trained with this percent you know, already AI generated stuff. And then this model is like the gold standard. It's totally 100% human generated training data. USDA human certified. (laughs) (laughs) Like one model that's just trained on Alan Watts books and lectures. That that would be cool. I'd get that AI as my assistant. Yeah. No, I think, I think those kinds of things are probably going to be really helpful to navigate the space because you're right there could if you're i've seen um i saw a startup that is creating a search engine that's just gpt3 based where it just answers your questions that you type into it and i just i see that and i'm like e that's uh yeah there's there's a lot of room (laughs) you know how people will store heirloom seeds in these big depositories underground yeah yeah, so because the, the risk is, is that eventually, if all the seeds are Monsanto GMO seeds, then all of a sudden we don't have blue tortilla chips from Mexico, or we don't have heirloom tomatoes that have been evolving for millions of years. And you can imagine a similar thing where if you become an archivist of real human creations, like physical library of books, or mm. uh, or, or you put all this information on hard drives that are not connected to the internet. And then if anything goes haywire with AI or generative AI, you could go back to basics and you could Hmm. say, all right, let's start over again. Let's just feed them all the Encyclopedia Britannica's, all the, you know, the best novels of the 19th and 20th centuries. And Hmm. you could become like someone that safeguards that untainted human information from generative AI. Cause you're right. Like if you get to the point where you're just typing in gener- into generative AI like Google, how do you really know that the output is sound? It's, it's yeah. essentially a black box. I mean, Google already is a black box, but this is one yeah. level more of obfuscation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I mean, you just you touched on a really important point. Like we might be at a precipice of like things 50 years from now. If you just look at all of the things that have been generated, given the rate of generation of these mm-hmm. models, there could very well be far, like far more data in the that has been generated by AI rather than humans. And it, <laughs> well, I uh, keep yeah. the physical library for this reason. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got some books. I'm there gonna... is something too. It's like. How do you know that a dictionary entry didn't get changed if you're searching online? How do you really know? Unless it's printed and you can see the book was published in this year and you have that book and you've had it for a decade, that's Mm -hmm. really the only way you can truly know that something hasn't been altered. Physical books published before 2022. (laughs) All right, well, let's, let's get into the best case scenario now. Best case scenario.
Cool. I, I can start with this one. Yeah. I think um, what one of the things we touched on quite a bit was the ability for individuals to really, really enhance their output in a lot of different ways, in ways that they might not have been an expert in before. So I think it gives, it makes the average person, you know, in the ideal sense, the average person can be a really high performing generalist and have, you know, AIs take care of a lot of the nitty gritty details of what, you know, the, the design itself and the, the writing itself, as long as the human has the ideas, that's all that's necessary. And the ability to execute on those ideas is just going to really improve um, in, in this ideal world. Um, and I think that's actually fairly likely. The thing that I'm really excited about, though, is just the, the ability for individuals to have like almost unlimited capabilities with generative AI and the ability to create any world that you want, the ability to share that world to whoever you want. And just, there's, there's just a, um, yeah, it's all about the, the ability for one individual to just do it all and be assisted by these artificial intelligent you know, generative models. So that's, I'll keep it short and simple with that. I just, I'm, I'm, I'd be really, I'm really excited for how that's going to play out. Um, Yeah. I think that's spot on the way that I was thinking about it is when you're a kid, everyone tells you to follow your dreams. And so you might have these dreams of, I want to go to space or I want to be an astronaut or a rock star, or I want to create these I want to build skyscrapers or everyone has all these grand dreams as a kid. And then a lot of people end up basically selling their soul to a corporation and they do it because they don't have enough leverage as an individual to compete with other corporations. So they instead just, it's like, if you can't beat them, join them. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason for that is that there's basically three types of leverage. There's capital, labor, and technology. And most people don't start out with much capital that, you know, most people are essentially broke when they enter the workforce and they have to build up from nothing. Or some people mm-hmm. even start out with lots of debt. So they're not exactly winning in that category from the beginning. And then from labor, you, you start out as basically just one person. And then you're competing against companies that have, in some cases, thousands of employees and they have designers and developers and all types of people to build whatever is needed for that company. But technology is the new way of leveling the playing field. And now if every kid who has a dream can have a generative AI assistant, if you love music, you can create wonderful music. If you love movies, you can create wonderful movies. Like Whatever your starting point is, you can then go from there, build and create the next great tech company, even if it's a 12-person tech company. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be thousands of people. Mm-hmm. The other thing you alluded to is that it kind of allows you to do what you do best and the AI does what it does best. And it's different for each person, right? Some people are already really good at math and science and coding, but they're not good at design. And in that Mm -hmm. case, they can use the AI to create the designs that they know they need for their video game, for instance. Or you're someone who's already incredibly artistic, but you don't know anything about coding. You can have the AI handle the coding aspect of that. 
Yep. So I think that pairing of computer capabilities with the human's ability to sense the collective and what's needed, that's really the magical combo that I think could really elevate the next yeah. hundred years of human output and creativity. I like that a lot. Well, let's get into the most likely scenario. Most likely scenario. So I think the most likely scenario is we're going to see the worst case scenario pan out and we're also going to see the best case scenario pan out, not just a, an average of the two. There will be people's lives who are potentially ruined because of generative AI, especially in this world where we're, we're in this transition phase where I think it's going to maybe be like some people aren't going to learn the interface to generative AI and they might be left in the dust if they don't. Um, I, I feel like people that do go with the, you know, creating whatever they want are going to have a completely hijacked dopamine system. If they are just creating anything, literally anything that they want, like that's, I can imagine I, I almost know with, <laughs> I, I feel that, that to be true with a very high degree of certainty. Um, and then, but I also think that there are going to be individuals and there are going to be a lot of individuals, especially the people that grow up just playing around with these models. They're going to be able to do things that we can't even imagine right now. The, the, the amount of output and the quality of output that one or a small group of people can create is going to be mind boggling. And the, this is just the start. And, you know, we might, if we do a repeat of this episode one year, five years from now, the whole landscape is going to be very different. Yeah. I mean, in just two years, we went from text to image. Yep. Yep. Next step is video. And then we've also got realistic voice generation of characters, keeping, keeping characters constant throughout. And once that happens and people can make movies or, you know, make characters in games, I mean, this, <laughs> it, it's hard to see the limits of where, <laughs> where this really is. It, it can go on for, for a while. Like the, the, capabilities is almost is just mind-boggling um so yeah i really do think we're gonna see the the best case and worst case pan out in full at the same time totally so. i i feel similarly and yeah i think there's definitely going to be some disruption to the job market as this mm -hmm. occurs some people will benefit from it if they learn the tools some people will lose out to those who have learned the tools and I think there's also, if you're a big incumbent, like if you're 20th Century Fox or you're Universal Pictures, it's not great for you because you're going to have a lot more competition. Like right now, if you want to create the next Marvel movie, like, yes, they make a lot of Marvel movies, but it's only two dozen a year or something like that. And so unless you're one of those people that gets to actually spend the millions of dollars to make this high budget production you have no chance to reach that level of people. But if we truly master generative AI with video creation 
and everything beyond that, then yes, it will be way more competitive for anyone making a movie because there's going to be a Cambrian explosion of movies you could watch and there still is a limited amount of hours in the day. Mm -hmm. But you have a much greater chance if you're some regular person, if you do make a truly great movie, it will rise to the top. And I think those same power laws will be in effect where some movies will just be massive blockbusters and it might be some kid down the street, but (laughs) millions and millions of people will watch that movie. Yep. It's like millions of people watched the last Marvel movie, but you don't have to be part of this major studio to have that shot. And because there's so much more competition, I think just the level of quality of output will be far greater just because there'll be so much more, uh, so many more variations tried. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, that's very likely. I think there is also going to be some backlash against it. So in any kind of fashion trend or art trend, you can always predict what the next trend is going to be by looking at the last trend. And it's always a rejection of the last trend. And then eventually <laughs> it comes full circle. So like what was cool in the seventies is now becoming cool again after being uncool in like the eighties and nineties and whatever. And I think in the same way, we're going to have a lot of hipsters who are basically saying, I only consume human only content. <laughs> I think that's going to be quite common. Yeah, I bet you're right. (laughs) And, you know, I might be a nostalgic hipster in some circumstances as well. I'll have to Mm -hmm. see what what the outputs look like. But ultimately, I think there's just going to be fewer bottlenecks in the system. And so people will be able to create whatever they want to create. And that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's... It's a really good point. Well, I think that's a good place to end it. We will definitely do another episode the next time there's a major breakthrough. But thank you all for tuning in. And we'll see you next time. The past, the present, and the future. Present and the future.